Hello, and you are listening to Eco Justice Radio on KPFK Los Angeles and KPFT Houston, a project of SoCal 350 Climate Action. Our show presents environmental and climate stories from a social justice frame, featuring voices not necessarily heard on mainstream media. Welcome. I am Jessica Aldridge. On today's show, Reforest the Earth, planting the legacy of old growth trees. Host Carrie Kim will be interviewing guest David Malarch, co-founder of Archangel Ancient Tree Archive. David Malarch is a fourth-generation nurseryman with over 40 years of experience in growing and supplying landscape trees for resale for the national market in northern Michigan. David and his sons co-founded Archangel Ancient Tree Archive in 2007. The project is dedicated to leading society towards sustainability by preserving, propagating, and planting living legacies of old-growth forest genetics, aiming to restore our arboricultural heritage for future generations. Aloha, my name is Carrie Kim. Thank you for tuning in, listeners. We open the show by honoring the Tongva ancestors for stewarding these lands with reverence for millennia, as our show comes to you from the unceded territory of the Tongva. We owe a debt of gratitude for the continuance of their lifeways. Many have witnessed the unprecedented loss of ancient giant sequoia groves in the Castle Fire in Sierra Nevada, California, the only natural habitat for sequoias on Earth. Coastal redwoods were also gravely impacted by lightning-induced fires. A recent report from Christy Bingham, Chief of Resources and Management at Sequoia and Kings National Park, estimates the losses at 7,500 to 10,600 sequoia trees, which is 10 to 14 percent of the world's natural population. The trees range in age from less than 100 years old to 3,500 years old. The death of these and other sacred old-growth trees is a drastic harbinger of the scope of our human-induced climate crisis. In this episode, we welcome David Millarch to offer a call to action on behalf of our tree ancestors. He is co-founder of Archangel Ancient Tree Archive and Champion Tree Project, both of which are dedicated to propagation of ancient old-growth trees, archiving and preserving their genetics, and reforestation of their living legacies worldwide. Welcome to the show, David. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. We are so grateful for your presence and the mission you're now fulfilling on behalf of these old growth trees. Could you open the show by providing a little backstory on your history with nurseries? I live in northern Michigan near Traverse City, and I'm 71 years old. And my father, who has passed, started in the shade tree industry here in 1964. So since 1964 until present, we've been raising trees for the nursery industry mm-hmm. for major cities in the Midwest. And about 30 years ago, we noticed that the trees that the nursery industry was growing weren't doing so well. We mm-hmm. started losing species back then, like birch, like oak, like elm. And we really didn't know why the demise of these species that we use to uh, in the landscape industry. And lo and behold, we, we became upon this thing called climate change. And we came into things called invasive species or diseases and bugs that we've never seen before. And that was about 30 years ago. And 
we said, well, if we don't get a handle on this, you know, as an industry soon, it could it could dig into our profits. Well, fast forward 30 years, most of the major species of trees that the nursery industry grows as one or two invasive species pests that will probably be the demise of the parent forest of those trees in this country. With climate change, let's just take, for example, the bristlecone pine in the White Mountains there in California. It no longer gets cold enough in the winter, average lower temperatures, to kill the beetles that have attacked those trees. But Mother Nature's kept those beetles numbers small and at bay mm-hmm. until the last several years where it's been too warm in the winter. They're thriving. And now even the bristlecone pine, the largest measured oldest trees on earth, are probably going to leave the planet. They're not only endangered, most scientists don't see how they can survive the attack of the beetle. Even NASA, when if we change our thoughts here to the southern range of the Sierra Nevadas or the giant sequoias, 15 years ago, with the climate changing the way it was and the change of weather, most people don't know that sequoias like to grow at 6,000 feet facing west in the Sierra Nevadas. And the only water that they really get is snowmelt in the spring. Mm-hmm. Well, for the last 10 or 12 years, there has been very little snowmelt right. in some areas. And between global climate change, because of the change of the weather and no snow, the droughts, we'll probably see the end of the giant sequoias after millions of years of being here. And, and you, you could take species by species across this country. It doesn't really matter where you live. And because of climate change, because of drought, because of invasive species, because of chainsaws and man's ignorance, most of our old growth forests, which is only 2% of our old growth forests left in the United States. My God. We have, we have destroyed 98% of our old growth forests. That's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, the statistics, the statistics are staggering. Well, in Coast Redwoods, the only native range of Coast Redwoods, of course, is in California. From Big Sur north 500 miles to the southern Oregon-California border. And uh, in our infinite wisdom, we've destroyed, cut down 95% of the old growth, the only old growth coast redwood forest in the world. Mm-hmm. Less than 5% survive in remnant forests that are not attached. And their future is very precarious because we've opened up the inner core of exposing them to the sun. They're not doing too well. So mostly in the name of profit and greed. Uh, and, I, and one of the, my favorite sayings is that man's greed knows no limits. Mm-hmm. We have traded uh, trees that we have no idea of the value that they play for humans as well as in the ecosystems and cut them down, thousands of year old trees, for money. Mm-hmm. That's where we stand today. That's the bad news. But I think if you would like to listen to this show, there's some good news coming. With our work for the last 30 years of cloning and genetically archiving and living libraries, the genetics of the last of these great trees, which we're doing, we now have the ability to rebuild old growth forests for the first time ever in the history of the world, utilizing old growth forest genetics. It's called cloning. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what we'd like to talk about today. But, uh, exactly. You you can, like yeah, if you can speak about the... Well, the vision of Archangel Tree Archive and also the Champion Tree Project. Maybe if you could well, actually first, David, if you could first explain what 
is the term champion tree? What does it mean? I don't know that people fully know. Back in the 1960s, we knew about climate change. We had heard about climate change, its potential. We heard about old holes in our ozone from aerosols. Back in the late 60s, this is nothing new. Uh, we decided to do little or nothing about it for decades. And about 30-some years ago, when because of the changing of the climate here in Michigan, because of invasive species from other countries, we were losing our shade trees that, that provided our food, our shelter, our homes. That was our livelihood. Mm-hmm. When somebody starts taking 25 or 30% of your paycheck every year, it, it, you pay attention. <laughs> so we, <laughs> So we started to pay attention. Why can't we grow birch anymore? Why can't we grow oaks anymore? Why can't we grow these trees for the nursery industry? And it's because of, you know, what we've been talking about so far. So we said, well, the criteria for shade trees for urban replanting mm-hmm. in your cities or your yards or whatever, normally the way the industry has gone is that they pick trees for, that have pretty colored leaves or pretty flowers and no thought at all was ever get, given to sustainability or longevity or disease resistance. So our cities are reforested with trees with pretty leaves and flowers that it's mandatory to re, to spray every 10 days because of invasive species are trying to take them out. And our urban forests really are weak and our urban forests were ill thought out for choices for sustainability. And uh, the average lifespan uh, of an urban street planted tree across America today is a whopping seven years. <laughs> that's the average lifespan. But that's good mm-hmm. for the tree industry because you have to buy trees every seven years. So right. that's good for the tree industry. <clears throat> like automobiles. It's like, mm-hmm. like a lot of things. Well, mm-hmm. my sons and I said, well, what about if we went to the largest and oldest of the native species of trees here in Michigan? Like the largest and oldest sugar maples, the largest and oldest oaks, the largest and oldest fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. If we tried to clone those, exact genetically clone the largest and oldest of the living species, I wonder how that would stack up compared to the longevity and, uh, I, you know, I sort of like to reforest our cities with the trees that they cut down to build the cities. So. Mm-hmm. The first year, 30-some years ago, my sons and I found the national champion sugar maple, the national champion white ash, the national champion, I believe it was, I forget the four species, and we were going to try that. Mm-hmm. Well, all the universities that we contacted with their idea said it won't work. The old trees, you cannot reproduce old trees. It's like asking a 115-year-old female to have a child. <laughs> and, <clears throat> so mm-hmm. it won't work. Don't bother. If it would have worked, we would have done it. We don't want any part to help you. So we weren't easily dissuaded. So we did find the national champion, which is the measured largest in, of its tree of its species in the country. It's a it's a combination of the diameter of the trunk, the height of the tree, and the width of the crown strip. Mm-hmm. And there's only one national champion. And there's lists of where these trees are. So we said, well. Let's go after the national champions of several species of trees and see how they would do. Well, I'm telling you, we about got laughed off the face of the planet from uh, the people in academia and the tree industry because don't you know you use young, you know, the younger and the more vigorous tree, the easier it is to reproduce that tree. You don't go to several hundred or several thousand year old tree. 
it won't work. Mm-hmm. And so that held true until the first four trees we tried, all national champions, did work. Uh-huh. And then we sent them to the big nurseries in Oregon that produced the largest number of trees for nurseries to grow. Mm-hmm. And they stacked up these champion propagated trees mm-hmm. up against the nursery standards. And I know the white ash, the first year from a single cutting, a half inch long, grafted onto the rootstock of a parent tree, grew eight feet in three months to an eight foot tall tree with a trunk diameter of seven eighths of an inch. They had never seen growth like that ever. Amazing. So the largest, oldest trees on earth started shattering their growth records. And that was the first time that the industry sort of took another look at us and science kind of backed off. Mm-hmm. Until 10 or 11 years ago when we said, well, we're going to try the redwoods and the sequoias. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you had your skeptics. <laughs> I remember the first time we went to try Coast Redwoods, just north of San Francisco. National Geographic sent a crew, the New York Times sent a reporter, the San Francisco paper was there, USA Today was there, and a number of others. Mm-hmm. And one of the learned uh, Redwood professors from the local university there in San Francisco came to that press conference and said, it won't work. The largest and oldest redwood ever cloned is 80 degrees. We did that at UFC Berkeley. And any man that says he can clone a redwood, top, you know, clone a redwood, several hundred or several thousand years old is uh, mistaken. <laughs> and that, that was, he said that at the press conference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, nice to prove them wrong. So I said, well, that might be true, but we've done over 100 other species, and it's pretty much under the same criteria. So I think. Uh, if it's all the same to you, I'm going to go give her a whirl. So we took our climbers to, <laughs> to Jack's Redwoods there, just north of the, uh, of the bridge there, the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. But what they didn't know is I sent those cuttings to New Zealand, to a tissue culture lab of renown, and the others we had done privately at, in Monterey at Pebble Beach Golf Course. Clint Eastwood uh, I met a few times. And he has a greenhouse there at Pebble Beach. And so we wanted to hide it away from ecotourism or, or the blurring eyes. Uh-huh. And he let us use his greenhouse at Pebble Beach. Wow. And lo and behold, all four, four worked. And that's when we were off to the races of starting to rebuild old growth redwood forest. We knew it would work. Amazing. <laughs> Can you share about the value and significance of these champion trees? I still believe that a lot of listeners may not fully understand what they represent to ecosystems and the magnitude of the losses that you've mentioned so far. Well, let's start here. Let's start with coast redwoods. Most coast redwoods, the vast majority of coast redwoods don't live to be a thousand years old, nearly a thousand years old, but very rarely a thousand years old. We've gone after specifically coast redwoods that are two to 3,000 years old and still actively growing. That's like finding a tribe of people somewhere in Central or South America that are 350 years old on Mm -hmm. average Mm -hmm. and still in good health. Amazing. Would you want to study their genetics? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) So in the tree world, when we have butchered and destroyed... (laughs) 
90% of the old growth forest, if you were going to try and put back the old growth forest, what would an old growth forest look like if you use clones of five or six of that same species of trees, but all of the largest and oldest? What if you build a forest out of 3,000-year-old coast redwoods when most don't live to be a 1,000 years old, but you had different lineage of, you know, you would have super groves of trees. What would their resistance to disease be? You know, if they're already 3,000 years old, they've lived through the entire industrial age, everything man could throw at them, they're still alive. They must have gone through some hellish weather in 3,000 uh-huh. years. So genetically, how would they fare against climate change or, mm. or droughts? Could, or that, could the secret to surviving that be in their genetics? Yes. So if it's important to breathe fresh air or drink clean water, this project's important to you. Because in California, just for example, breathing smoke-filled air is not very healthy. We do know with hard science now that when you deforest an era, area, it's called, you make a desert out of that area. There's a word that slips my memory right now. Mm-hmm. And you, you stop the rain. Track rain and keep rain coming your way. You leave the forest up. Because one of the jobs we have hard science and can prove now is that trees attract and help make it rain. So right. if you want to create one hellish nightmare of a drought, deforest your whole coastline, mm-hmm. deforest your forest 95%, and then you're going to be living in the California like you are now without any rain attractors called your forests or your trees. We also know now with hard science that the coastal redwood range and the coastal range on the Pacific coast from British Columbia all the way down to Mexico, the aerosols from those trees have positive health benefits for all living human beings, animals, and even uh, the fishes along the coastline. The demise of the coral reefs and the fishes is due in part now from the deforestation of those coastal forests. And we have hard science to prove it. Jim Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S, wrote a book, The Man Who Planted Trees. It's Mm -hmm. been out for six or seven years. Mm -hmm. And he's a New York Times, Science Times reporter, travels the world. He's an elite writer. And he follows around for about 10 years. Jim wrote a book, The Man Who Planted Trees, and it's footnoted with hard science, the latest hard science of why trees are important for coral reefs. Why trees are important to create oxygen and aerosols for the health-giving benefits for all living things. There's so much. Why would we deforest the coastline in California? In that book, it's just amazing how, you know, how critical our old growth forests and forests are to human beings and our well-being. And now we're beginning to start to reap the rewards of selling those off for a few individuals to get very, very rich. Devastating Um, history. We're going to take a break right here, David, and then we'll pick it right back up. All right. 
Hey listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco-Justice Radio. We air every Monday at 9 a.m. on KPFT Houston and every Wednesday at 3 p.m. on KPFK Los Angeles. Stay connected to us by subscribing to Eco-Justice Radio on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org. When you go there, you can check out previous shows and guests and you can get connected with us on social media. Today, you are listening to Reforest the Earth, planting the legacy of old growth trees. Trees, with our host Carrie Kim and our guest David Malarch, co-founder of Archangel Ancient Tree Archive. So David, it seems we need to be capable of properly mourning the loss of these ancient trees in order to be part of their restoration. Anyone who's stood among the awesome greatness of these giants, they know they're not easily replaced, but we live in an era of hyperspeed and ageism it seems hard for modern people to truly contemplate and appreciate the importance of something that has lived 3,000, 4,000, or 5,000 years. Your thoughts on that? My thoughts are it's mind-boggling to go into one of those forests and stand up in front of a tree and put your hands on one of these giants in California and know that that tree right there, the one you're touching, was a thousand years old when Jesus walked the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. They had been living in California, doing well for a thousand years when Christ walked the earth. Mm-hmm. That kind of gets your mind around how old these beings are. But let's get, let's get some facts to one of these ancient beings. A mature giant sequoia is about 1,100 tons, 1,100 tons. Mm-hmm. Dry weight, wow. that means if you took the tree and you dried it out, and 40% of that dry weight is stored carbon, 400 tons of stored carbon right. per tree. So in other words, folks, if you were to plant one giant sequoia for each one of your family members, somewhere in California where it would do well, and there's plenty of places, it would pay your entire carbon debt for your life. It's going to be bringing CO2 in to its being. It eats at, like we eat hot fudge sundaes or, 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 or some of our favorite foods, and it exhales pure oxygen 24-7 for the next two to 3,000 years. It'll be sequestering and storing carbon and exhaling oxygen. So if you plant one now, you put that into progress, paying it forward for two to 3,000 years. Mm-hmm. That's the part of the site, the types of solution that we need to put into, into, into progress, mm-hmm. into being. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do we lose when we lose one of these giants? We lose 150 barrels of rainwater cleared per day on average that these things sequester mm-hmm. from groundwater and the air. We, we lose eight tons of fresh oxygen every day that's created. And by the way, not only are our CO2 levels skyrocketing beyond what some scientists say will be safe for humans to try and live in in the next few decades, Mm -hmm. but also our oxygen levels are dropping in our oceans, in our freshwater. Exactly. And people wonder why people... Mammals can't reproduce. Okay, so it's a two-sided coin, which, you know... Most people have heard of the one side of the coin called excess CO2. Mm-hmm. But just as, just as dire and just as important is the other side of that coin, it's called oxygen. 
Mm-hmm. They, our planet Earth is the only planet with water, which is H2O, mm-hmm. which is oxygen, a component yes. of hydrogen and oxygen. So if, if the oxygen levels and the temperatures are warming along your coastline so much that mammals are having a hard time reproducing and even phytoplanktons, mm-hmm. that means we need more damn oxygen in the atmosphere. And how are we going to put it in there? Mm-hmm. That means we all take responsibility and plant a few trees. So if we all planted one tree a year and saw to it that it lived, for every family member, for every human being, man, woman, and child on earth, if we only planted one tree a year, each of us, mm-hmm. in 30 years, our CO2 levels will be back to 1970. My gosh. But the trees have to live. That's the key, right, David? The trees People have to live. plant a lot of trees and they don't, they don't live, or they plant the wrong trees. Uh, for the the habitat the right tree in the right place and it has to be watered for the first two or three years okay Mm -hmm. you can't plant trees and walk away Mm -hmm. like most tree planting groups do and most tree planting groups absorb a 90 percent loss but everybody likes to party and plant the trees and feel good and the kumbaya and all the ceremony (laughs) and they walk away and they all die that's not progress Okay, we're more intelligent beings like that. Before we plant any trees anywhere, you make sure that it has trickle irrigation or a solid uh, watering program for at least the first two years to help get it started. It's like having a baby, Mm -hmm. putting the baby in the baby's room and leaving for two years. (laughs) Well, we had the baby. It should be able to take care of itself. It's the same (laughs) dang thing. (laughs) The nurturing part is the part that everybody's missing. So, well, I live in an apartment or I live in this and I I don't have any place for for trees. We have lots of public places for trees. We have lots of public lands. We have schools. We have churches. We have synagogues. We have lots of open places. Mm -hmm. We have millions of miles along our expressways and our highways called medians and shoulders. Mm -hmm. That's called point source remediation. Mm-hmm. So what your challenge might be is to find a legitimate tree planting organization and, and preferably join it. Take right. your children and join it. Do it with your children. Mm-hmm. Turn your children on to nature, okay? Do it with them and go plant a few trees with a real credible group that makes sure there has their watering program in place and, and you know protection from the animals and things for the first couple of years mm-hmm. and set into motion paying your own CO2 debt. Mm. I every like that. Year, every year, each one of us has a CO2, a carbon debt. Every mom, dad, kid, everybody that uses paper, that breathes air, that uses furnaces, drives cars, we all have a CO2 personal debt. Mm-hmm. Shipping boxes. Everybody likes to shop from home and FedEx and everything yes. comes in yep. a box. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the fuel to ship it, the boxes and the paper to ship it, that all adds up to a private CO2 debt and an oxygen depletion debt that nobody wants to look at. Yeah, everybody- I think that's a very important point you're making about the oxygen depletion debt and replacing the oxygen as well. Exactly. And if there's easy calculations, if you go to our website, Archangel Ancient Trees, and we're a 501c3 nonprofit mm-hmm. that's not fully funded this year, like most years, go to our website at Archangel Ancient Trees. 
Take a look at some of the data and the hard science that I've mentioned. Take a look at a way that you can help pay your CO2 and, and oxygen debt by uh, empowering people. We have, it's in San Jose, California, 22 schools with 20,000 school children waiting for our redwoods and our sequoias that they want to plant. If you want to get involved in one hell of a good project, folks, there in California, help fund 20,000 of your school children that want to reforest old growth redwood forest that was called, it's now called San Jose, California, because it was Oakland, California, down through San Jose was all old growth redwood forest that's now called Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Along the streets, schoolyards, we could put thousands and thousands of those trees in with your financial help. You'll help us produce those to, to get those into the hands of those school children, and they want to start this fall. Mm-hmm. Another project we have in California is the Presidio in San Francisco. Presidio asked us three years ago, they said, we'd like to reestablish an old growth redwood forest that got cut down to build mm-hmm. this facility. Mm-hmm. We started providing redwoods from clones of the largest, oldest redwoods alive today. And we're starting to begin to rebuild an old growth forest, helping the Presidio do that. That's another project that you can become involved in. In Los Angeles, there's other tree species for arid, dry regions, not redwoods. Mm-hmm. There's, there's tree species that need to line every street, every, every sidewalk, every house, every, every apartment building, to start paying back the CO2 debt of each of us and our oxygen debt. So it, it, it would be helpful just to, to send in some donations to make our work possible and other, you know, other environmental groups that are for real. They definitely, that, definitely you and others need to be supported in, in fulfilling this mission because it's for the entire planet, really. It's in, but better actually for yet, survival. Bring the check with you to one of these projects with your children and get involved, okay? We're in Michigan. Our volunteers and our people that support us are mainly from the East Coast and the Midwest. We're doing projects internationally, but California has millions of school children that are asking for trees up and down your coastline to be produced here in Michigan at our expense. Let's get more Californians involved in being part of the solution, not just part of the problem. Exactly. Well, I think people are ready for that because we've witnessed so many fires. People have undergone so much. I think they're beginning to understand the gravity of what's happened and what needs to happen as far as restoration, ecosystem restoration, restoration of these old growth trees. The good news is that we can reverse climate change. Mm-hmm. Okay? 100% agree with you. Okay, But it's going to take all of us a concerted effort, grassroots to do it. Right. The it's government not a passive is activity. The government is not going to save us. <laughs> Corporate world is not going to save us. Science is not going to save you. Mm-hmm. You are going to save you with your children, your friends. If we all do a little bit, we can go after this thing and we can reverse it. Mm-hmm. If we wait for corporate America, the government, or uh, some pie-in-the-sky organization, we're all going to go down. I mean, mm-hmm. the handwriting is on the wall. Have As you, you said, thought that these yeah. fires and the drought are just beginning? Mm-hmm. This is just the beginning? Right. Well, Nate Stevenson, a research ecologist with the U.S. Geological Survey, had, had mentioned about the sequoia-destroying fires, of course, have increased over the last decade. So 
the sequoias, the handwriting's on the walls for all sequoias. It's getting too hot and too dry. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we have exploding canopies and the things that are, you know, exploding tops of sequoias. There's a problem. I mean, there's been a problem, of course. But as you said, it's been going on when you talk about things that have been known since the 60s. But there was just inaction and there was a continuing just empowering greed more than ecosystem restoration wasn't the focus. Exactly. If we all change our ways just a little bit, if we all do something, even in small amounts, if you listen to this program and say, all right, I'm going to plant at least two trees a year for myself every year that I remain on this planet. Mm -hmm. Or let's say that you're a parent and say, all right, there's myself and our two children. I will plant six trees a year for mm-hmm. every year that I'm still on the planet. It's it's concerted efforts by the grassroots efforts that's going to turn this thing around. Big corporations, big science, big government can't do it. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to make more intelligent choices with the most powerful thing that we have. It's called our checkbooks. Mm-hmm. You know, what are we going to consume? How is it produced? How is it packaged? Okay. Mm -hmm. So another empowerment program you already have. The dollars that you have, that you earn, that you're in control of, let's be more intelligent on how we spend those on the commodities and the things that we buy. Let's Mm -hmm. buy with the sustainability lens on. Let's buy and consume with the idea that, yes, my children need and deserve a shot at the quality of life that I have had for myself. Right now, they don't. Yes. Right well, now, I think if, even you if know, we, we do, a, kids I think are even if people are replacing their uh, toilet paper usage and how much of the boreal forest has been cut down just for that, we should be uh, planting trees for that. Well, almost everything that we eat, we drink, we wear, we purchase for our homes, there's more intelligent ways to purchase that not just for today, but thinking into the future for the future of our children and our grandchildren to come. That's the lens that we need to shift to now, not, not soon, but starting mm-hmm. today. Yeah. We are in uh, overtime. Yeah. We're definitely in overtime here. Not, not just the 59th minute. We're in overtime as far as what, what is happening on the planet, as far as uh, the climate crisis. Can you speak, David, some more about the evolution of sequoia trees their fire adaptability and why they're not capable of surviving these intense megafires brought on by the climate crisis we've induced. Well, there's three kinds of redwoods in the world. Let's, let's just start there at the basic, you know, redwood 101. There's three kinds of redwoods. There's the coast redwood, which is in northern, central and northern California. Mm-hmm. There's the giant sequoias that are primarily, you know, in the, in the southern Sierra Nevada range of California. Mm-hmm. And then there's the dawn redwood that were in China mm-hmm. that uh, they started reproducing those old giants back in the 40s. And, and dawn redwoods are really growing everywhere in every country, every continent now because of their reintroduction. Mm-hmm. But let's take coast redwoods. Let's start there. Okay. Coast redwoods are the tallest uh, living organisms on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the giant sequoias are the largest living organisms on earth in the plant kingdom and mm-hmm. the dawn redwoods are some of the oldest they're uh hundreds of millions of years old and they were basically out of china mm-hmm. coast redwoods are basically fireproof mm-hmm. 
on a mature coast redwood, the bark is 12 to 18 inches thick and it is fireproof. Okay. Mm-hmm. So on their own, coast redwoods are primarily disease and in- insect resistant or, or, you know, or they wouldn't have gotten this old. They're basically fireproof. Mm-hmm. But what we did in our infinite wisdom with Smokey the Bear uh-huh. is <laughs> fire suppression. Fire suppression, we put that into place, and then massive, massive overlogging to open up whole areas, you know, to clear cuts that invasive species and the fast-growing species come back quickly within 10 or 20 years, and it's fuel for the fires of the remnant forests that are left. You add that with our, you know, our excess carbon in our atmosphere, and that's called a drought. Mm-hmm. A lot of California is going through its 12th year of drought. I don't know anything that can wait 12 years for a drink of water. Could you? <laughs> no, we and live here, it, we know. And then the loss of fog because it's too hot for these trees to top water, which they do. You know, we've set up the perfect storm with our intervention of greed and ignorance. And it, 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 the handwriting is on the wall. And how can it get that hot? Well, Mother Nature brings fire along as a friend every now and then to clean up the forest floors with fires. Mm-hmm. Normally, the fireproof trunks of these trees, it's bark, and the tops are so high up there, those fires could not reach the tops of the canopies. Right. And, you know, the fire resistance of the bark of the coast redwoods have handled the fires for hundreds of thousands of years. But Smokey the Bear, we put every fire out in every part of this country that was, you know, humanly possible with good intentions, mm-hmm. but that allowed the downfall and the duff and the dead branches and, and, and the forest floor to become, uh, you know, a 10 to 12 foot thick packed cake of tinder mm-hmm. that when the lightning fires did come along in conjunction with the dryness of the drought, mm-hmm. there was super fuels that could reach the top of these trees. Mm-hmm. And once those those fires, because of the excess fuel on the floor, reached the top of these trees, it exploded mm-hmm. in, uh, in, into like fire volcanoes. Right. Uh, the trees were excessively dry. Uh, the tops, because of the drought, the excessive fuel in the canopy, and it created a firestorm like we have not seen maybe in, in recorded history because of the combinations we just talked about. David, the, uh, we're going to take one more break right here and yeah. return to what you're speaking about and all of the importance of the old growth trees. Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco Justice Radio. We air every Monday at 9 a.m. on KPFT Houston and every Wednesday at 3 p.m. on KPFK Los Angeles. Stay connected by subscribing to Eco Justice Radio on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, to check out previous shows and guests, get connected with us on social media, and more. Today, you are listening to Reforest the Earth, planting the legacy of old growth trees with host Carrie Kim and our guest, David Malarch, co-founder of Archangel Ancient Tree Archive. So David, I want to ask you about management and stewardship of the forest. We know that indigenous peoples world, you know, worldwide have been protecting forests and been living in harmony and relationship with forests and ecosystems worldwide for countless millennia with ease relative to what we see now. I mean, we've basically decimated the planet in short order 
in just a matter of you know hundreds of years. And if you could speak about uh, what the importance has been about indigenous ways of dealing with the forest, these low um, cultural burning, prescribed burnings that they used to do, if you could speak about that importance and is that a model that we should actually be returning to? I mean, and we're in a different state now with such high fuel loads and so forth with the mismanagement that's gone on in between. But if you could speak to that and the, the corruption forward for stewardship and the corruption in Washington, D.C. of lobbyists that have sold off our, our, our national force for pennies on the dollars to the, literally pennies on the dollars as political favors. That's been going on for too long. You have to take a look at too long, and that has to stop now. They have to shine a bright light in those corridors and say, okay, for our sake and our children's sake and our grandchildren's sake, to have a chance to live on this planet, we need to, we need to change the way and the way we think about trees. Uh, mm-hmm. Up until recently, trees were looked at as a commodity, like corn, mm-hmm. like steel, like any commodity, which gave them license to clear cut and sell off our state, national, and private forests for pennies on the dollars to foreign investors or as political payoffs, which has been done. Okay, trees are not Mm -hmm. a commodity, folks. They're a living, conscious being, just like you are. Mm -hmm. There's hard science now, if you choose to read the books, how trees talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, trees talk to humans. Mm -hmm. Trees understand humans. They recognize humans. Trees have feelings. There's hard science now that when you put a chainsaw or an axe in one of the one of the trees in any forest, it expresses that pain to all the trees around it, and we can measure it and, and, and we can record it. It feels the pain, it expresses it, and it tries to warn the others in the forest. Oh my gosh. That's called consciousness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's called feelings. Yeah. And there's hard science to prove it. The Native people that I've talked to in Oregon and California believe that when they left their bodies, their spirit went into the grandmother and grandfather trees. Mm. So their graveyards for their souls are the old growth forests, which we cut down. Mm-hmm. And when we cut those down, we cut into their sacred burial grounds of their peoples for tens of thousands of years because they have been talking to the trees. Mm-hmm. They've been listening to the trees. They understand trees provide the oxygen that we breathe, Mm -hmm. the shade that's so important to shade this earth to cool it. They -hmm. provide and attract the rains that feed our streams and our rivers and our lakes. They're living, conscious, breathing, feeling beings, folks. Mm -hmm. They're not a board. They're not a hot tub, as we've been uh, been led to believe. Are you working with indigenous communities in in this work? all over the world, in New Zealand, Australia, North America. And we're learning a lot about the truth of trees, and now science is just starting to catch up. Mm-hmm. There's lots of books out. Is there a book you would recommend, David, speaking about the consciousness of trees? Because it seems so fundamental from our children to adults that need to understand actually trees on this level, because there's such a disconnect with nature for so many modern people. Well, I'm a little bit, you know, uh, you know, I'm a little bit uh, maybe prejudiced. I like the book they wrote on our project, Jim Robbins, the New York Times Science Times reporter, mm-hmm. The Man Who Planted Trees by Jim Robbins. Okay. Okay. He's footnoted. He interviewed the top 100 forest scientists around the world. 
Can you tell us about the living champion tree archives and the significance of the genetics that you're preserving? I mean, we've kind of gone into it, but if you could speak specifically on the living champion tree archives. Yes. Well, there was a pretty famous movie out and a book out about 30 years ago about a guy that was trying to research dinosaurs. And he was trying to find dinosaur DNA. And so he looked in mosquitoes that were captured in amber from thousands of years ago. And perhaps maybe be able to study the DNA of dinosaurs by finding the mosquito that might have been a dinosaur that was captured in. That's one way to do uh, old growth, anything, you know, genetic study. Mm -hmm. I came along and I said, well, listen, we're losing our forests all over the world. All, you know, we're losing 8,000 species of trees a year. Wouldn't it be easier if we left living libraries, living genetic libraries for science mm-hmm. to be able to go to these living libraries from now for the next few thousand years and study the genetics of the great trees in a living library? Mm-hmm. So why don't we take the five, six, or seven top oldest, best of each species of trees, put them in a living library, usually on college uh, campuses, so the, the, the people that study them don't have to go bushwhacking yeah. and try and climb three or 400-foot tall trees. The genetics are right there alive mm-hmm. to be utilized mm-hmm. to repair mm-hmm. the damage that we've all created that's called reforesting the planet. But let's reforest it with the strongest, best, healthiest trees in their genetics, and let's put them right there on the campuses where they can be studied reproduce, and get busy reforesting this planet. We're so the libraries busy. are in different sites? Is that what it is, that the libraries yes. spread throughout? Yes, because the best tree to plant are the native trees of your area. Mm-hmm. So anywhere in the world, any country, any region, the native trees, the biggest, best, oldest, strongest native trees are the strongest, best genetics to utilize for reforestation. Mm-hmm. The trouble is, as we've logged off four or five different times, four or five different cuttings, our native forest, we took the mother trees first. Mm-hmm. The mother trees oh. are the trees that provide the genetics for the fingerprint, the strongest fingerprint of the forest. Mm-hmm. But they happen to be the biggest, strongest, straightest trees. And guess which one the loggers go after first? The mother, mother tree. Yeah. It's symbolic as well. I mean, it. And as we forest off a plot, once, twice, three, sometimes here in the Midwest, the same plots have been cut down five times. You leave the junk of the junk of the junk. Mm-hmm. So the crooked, the scrawny, the disease is what they leave. Exactly. So that forest rebuilds itself. It's trying to rebuild itself with the junk of the junk of the junk genetically. Mm-hmm. So it's like having 100 of the best prized beef cattle, 100 of the best anything in the world. Right. And every year yeah. you take the 98 best the 98 of the best ones, and you leave two. Mm-hmm. So you take the best 98, leave two. Let those two reproduce out. Then when they get up there old enough, you take the 98 of the best of those 100. That's called the junk of the junk of the junk genetically. Yeah. And that's what our forests are right now. So how are the libraries started? Do people come to you, or do you have specific organizations you're working with to plan out these libraries? Well, we hit, first you have to have a list. So we hired two of the world's best silviculture mines, academic mines in the world, 12 years ago. And we said, what are the 100 trees worldwide that humans absolutely have to have for planet Earth to survive? So if there's 100 tree species left, which are the most critical for, for human life to, you know, 
be available. Mm-hmm. And they did it independently. It took them several months. And they came up with a list, continent by continent, of the 100 most important trees. Mm-hmm. And so that's our, that's our marching orders. And we go after the top five or six of the largest, oldest, best specimens in each of those species. Mm-hmm. We claim those trees. We clone those trees. And then we bring them down and preserve the genetics. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not a good idea to plant all, you know, genetic duplicate forests. You know, you need genetic diversity. So mm-hmm. what we say is use 10% of the genetics of these old forest giants mm-hmm. to 90% of seedlings, oh, which is a okay. mixed, you know, uh-huh. mixed genetic yeah. base. Uh-huh. But even like in Los Angeles, let's bring in the top six best trees species mm-hmm. for the Los Angeles area. Go after the champions of those species, the biggest, badass, strongest, oldest ones, mm-hmm. and make those clones available to help reforest LA to reintroduce old growth forest genetics into the native trees that are still left there. Mm. So even the you know even the areas that have no old growth forest genetics left, let's bring some of our trees in so they can mingle with the local species and reintroduce the old growth forest genetics which are the genetics of longevity, disease resistance, mm-hmm. drought resistance. So it's very, very hopeful that no matter how dire the situation, look at a military base in San Francisco that was an old-growth redwood forest. Mm-hmm. They made an, I mean, it's a military base. Right. But we're starting to, we're rebuilding the old-growth redwood forest using the genetics of 2,000-year-old redwoods. So, is there somewhere? Where is the list of the hundred trees that are, you know, it's on our site? It's, it's on, on our site. website or our website, Archangel Ancient Tree website. There's lots of information. And yes, almost everybody's favorite part climbers go up three or four hundred feet in a three thousand year old tree. It's it's pretty amazing to watch. And thanks to my son Jacob who's the lead climber of the world's biggest and oldest trees, they created an elevator three years ago, a rope elevator. Wow. Where anybody, wheelchair-bound, seven or eight years old, can hook onto the rope, and they get towed up 200 feet into the canopy of an old-growth tree so they can see what it's like up there. You've mentioned the figure of one trillion trees in the ground. Is this, assuming you're meaning one trillion champion trees, or I don't know if that's kind of a you know, combined with also other uh, varieties of the seedlings you've spoken about. Is this a specific goal that you're aiming to see fulfilled? Yes. And it's possible now with micropropagation and tissue culture. We could take four cuttings off a 3,000-year-old redwood, mm-hmm. put them in, it looks like a baby food jar, mm-hmm. in micropropagation, and in two years, we'll have four million trees. We can rep- reproduce those out to 4 million trees in two years, those Amazing. four countries. And there's tissue culture labs in every city around the world. So the system to, to make hundreds of millions of trees is already in place called tissue culture labs. Mm-hmm. It's getting them the genetic material to get started and then to enlist and help in tree school, the students of the schools in that area to get them in the ground. It is, this is doable, you guys. Yes. David, what about on the ground, sustaining the trees on the ground, because we know that there is degraded soils worldwide. And even if you plant the tree, 
the hydrological cycle is out of balance. There's, it's, there's no guarantee that tree is going to survive for any length of time, given the state of the world's soils and the loss of topsoil. And could you speak about how that needs to change in order to support these old yes. growth trees surviving? Yes, any tree? in the middle, in Israel, who began this back in the 40s or the 50s, all over the Mideast, all over the world, we're going to a thing called trickle irrigation. Mm-hmm. Trickle irrigation is very, very inexpensive to set up, and it maximizes the effectiveness of any water, any, any water usage at all. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of trickled water to each tree per day on a timed basis mm-hmm. will sustain, sustain that tree to get going. Okay. Uh, overhead irrigation is a tremendous waste of water. And by okay. the way, Los Angeles is about to run out of water, and you're going to find out about that because the reservoirs are empty almost everywhere, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's something, trickle irrigation is the solution there, and if it's not, you're not able to set that up because there's not a well available or whatever, mm-hmm. you have to empower people and get them to pledge to put water on that tree once a week for the first two years, mm-hmm. not in the wintertime usually. Right. But during the growing season and the heat of the year, mm-hmm. somebody has to take responsibility. And the way we do it right. is we get donations to hire three or four school kids. Mm-hmm. And Ford Motor Company loans us vans or a corporation loans us vans for those school children to use. Mm-hmm. One keeps a clipboard and keeps track of each tree that gets watered. They get paid for a summer job. Oh, I they feel that. really good about it. The accountability is there. They learn about the accountability. Yeah. And, and they love it. World. I'm sure they love it. And so does this corporate world. Like, wow, we're helping empower these kids. We're loaning mm-hmm. them a vehicle or, or giving them money. That, mm-hmm. And so we've had great success with that. But the real answer is trickle irrigation. But if not, in urban areas, you know, you can get corporations to donate vans or the leasing of the vans. You have contests and you hire your, your high school students mm-hmm. that uh, you need a summer job anyway to do accurate accounting of the watering of each tree yeah. once a week. And it, it's a win-win. Win-win all the way around. That's yes. fantastic to in- involve the uh, <laughs> the children and the youth in this. It's imperative sure. that they Get some outside. have the, the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Are you working with indigenous co- communities to propagate trees as well? Because it seems like that's one of the, the perfect communities to be partnering with to ensure longevity. A little and- bit. A little bit. We're working with the Chippewa tribes here in Michigan. Mm-hmm. We've had contact with several of the tribes out west, but we'd like to see more of that. And exactly. there's some skepticism on their part towards, you know, the tree cloning. planting groups. And I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no not sure. the cloning, uh, the accountability of people that make them promises. <laughs> sure, I understand. That's a history of broken promises. Exactly. But, yeah. you know, we're, we're making inroads there. And we're all on this same planet together. However this planet ends up, we all end up in that same boat. You know, so, none of us are immune. Mm-hmm. None of us no. are safe. Exactly. Uh, everyone has to take part. I mean, everyone has to. There's a responsibility we have for our lives, period. So, and that includes everything you've said about our carbon debt, our CO2 debt, just the, the cost of our of our living. You know, just to, to live here on, on the planet, we have sacred reciprocity. So, David, can you let listeners, we're we're getting down to the end of our time together, but if you could share again with listeners the places that that they should connect with you with Archangel Tree Archive, if you could give some of the links. Okay. 
Well, the name of our group is a 501c accredited, federally accredited nonprofit. It's Archangel Ancient Trees. And we have a website. And if you just Google up Archangel, you'll go there. You just mm-hmm. don't, you don't even need an address. Go to Archangel and you'll find us. David, thank you so much for being on the show. What you're doing is incredible work for the planet and everybody needs to be on board. Everyone, as you said, needs to be planting trees and sustaining the life of those trees. Yes. To, and to- making wiser choices where we spend our money. And we have a saying here at Archangel Ancient Trees, which is very, very true. We all say this all over the country, wherever we're at, we're working for the world's grandchildren. And that's our motive. That's our intention. Because if we do a good job, they have a chance of making it. Exactly. If we drop the ball at this important time, they won't have a chance for life as we know it here on this planet. So it, exactly. we'll just do it. Exactly. Do it for the future generations. Listeners, please check out Archangel Ancient Tree Archives, participate, volunteer, and we just have to keep going. Thank you again, David. It's been an honor and a pleasure, really. An honor and pleasure. Back to you. Thank you so much. Thank you to our guest, David Malarch from the Archangel Ancient Tree Archive. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. This has been Reforest the Earth, planting the legacy of old growth trees. Please connect with us on social media at EcoJustice Radio, SoCal 350 and Adventures in Waste. If you like what you heard and you want others to be informed, you know what to do. Subscribe to our podcast, share the episodes, get that information out there. You have been listening to Eco-Justice Radio on KPFK Los Angeles and KPFT Houston, a project of SoCal 350. The show can be found on kpfk.org, kpft.org, all major podcast apps, and at ecojusticeradio.org. Created by Mark and J.P. Morse, executive producer Jack Ike, producer and co-host Jessica Aldridge, co-host Carrie Kim, engineer Blake Lampkin, and original music by Javier Cadre. And until next time, remember, the power is yours.